Welcome to On The Spot with Melinda Garvey, the On The Dot interview series where we sit down with some of the most intriguing and interesting women to watch featured in our daily email newsletter and podcast, Four Minutes with On The Dot. Make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode of On The Spot, now available every Thursday on your favorite podcast streaming services. Today, Melinda sits down with Natalie Silverstein, the author of Simple Acts, The Busy Family's Guide to Giving Back. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome everyone to On The Spot. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey, and I am so excited to be here with you today with yet another incredible, relatable role model. As you know, every week we bring you another woman who's doing great things, but it's really about that see it to be it concept, right? Showing the paths of lots of diverse women so that we can also see our path and where we're headed as well. And today we welcome Natalie Silverstein. She is the editor, writer, author. She's the founder of a Minneapolis-based nonprofit, Doing Good Together, and another nonprofit with your husband. You have a whole lot going on, don't you? (laughs) Well, I'm actually not the founder of Doing Good Together. I'm just a volunteer for them in New York City. Okay. Uh, A woman named Jenny Friedman started Doing Good Together about 15 years ago now in Minneapolis, so it's a national nonprofit, but there are locations now all across the country, and I was the first one here in New York City. Oh, wonderful. That's great. Well, you're the founder of New York City then. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you so much for being with us here today. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. What I love to do when we start is just to kind of jump way back. You know, what was your big dream when you were growing up? And, you know, sort of how did you get on the path that you're on today? Wow. It feels like ancient history, but I'm the child of immigrants. My parents came here from Ukraine after World War II. And so they were married here in the U.S. and uh, they settled in New Haven, Connecticut. And, you know, I was one of the first in our family to go to college. I then went on and got a master's degree. It's interesting, my degree is in health policy and administration and my master's is in public health. And that all came about because when I was a kid at 12 or 13, I was diagnosed with scoliosis, you know, where your your spine is just curved and they braced me. And so I would have to go to these children's hospital visits all the time. And I thought it was sort of an interesting place. You know, they helped people. I didn't want to be in nursing. I knew I didn't want to do hands-on care, but there was something sort of comforting about this environment where they were helping kids. And I thought I could do this for a living. I could work sort of in the administrative side. So it's sort of a funny way to come at it. But I, you know, majored in health policy and administration as an undergraduate. And I got a job in a hospital just like I wanted right out of school. And it's funny, the very first job I had, I was sort of not an assistant, but kind of a a right hand to the CEO of the hospital. I was very young. It was my first job. I was 22. And so one of the elements of the job was, writing his speeches or writing correspondence when we had someone, you know, pass away in the hospital and he had to write a condolence letter or dealing with a crisis situation. I would go in and meet with families and it was really kind of baptism by fire, but it honed a lot of communication skills and a lot of writing skills. And I found that I was a pretty decent writer. It had never occurred to me before that time. So I worked in healthcare a while. I got this master's. I moved to New York City, met my husband and started a family and kind of gradually moved out of work working outside of the home. I worked in health insurance and, you know, not terribly exciting fields. And then being home with my kids just made more sense. We had three children fairly close together. And then I started to do this work around family service. You know, as my kids were getting a little bit older, I just instinctively understood that doing service and volunteering with my kids was one way to keep them grounded and grateful and to engender compassion and empathy to open their eyes to the problems of the world around 
around them. You know, I wasn't raised in a particularly philanthropic family. Parents both worked very hard. My mom worked cleaning offices. You know, this was an immigrant lifestyle. They really needed to work hard to survive. And, you know, English was not their first language, but certainly they gave back to their church. They gave back in their community as much as they could. They helped each other. And that really rubbed off on me. And so as I searched around to find volunteer opportunities for my kids, I found miraculously or incredibly rather that I couldn't find any. I couldn't find, you know, soup kitchens or food pantries or other places that would accept us as volunteers because my kids were so little. And I got really frustrated by that. And so I found Doing Good Together and I asked if I could do their work here in New York City. And the mission of Doing Good Together is simply to help parents raise kids who care and contribute. And that felt like a really beautiful mission to me. And so that became mine as well. Oh, that's awesome. So, you know, it's interesting because you kind of referenced, you know, I think that leading into, I guess, becoming the author of your book, but, you know, you've done, you know, so many different things in your career. What does your typical day, week, month look like when you're kind of juggling all these different things that you're doing? What does that look like? Well, as you mentioned, my husband and I started a foundation about two and a half years ago after he was diagnosed with a rare genetic form of Parkinson's disease. He's a young man, and so that was a devastating diagnosis to receive. But he happens to work in healthcare venture capital, and he happens to invest and research into drugs and other therapeutics for rare diseases, which is a disease, you know, Parkinson's is very widespread, but he has a particular genetic form. And so we created this foundation to sort of figure it out and try and help him and help lots of other people in the process. So I run the foundation. It's kind of funny. My background is in health administration. I did this sort of work in my professional life. And here we are launching a foundation where I need to do, you know, grant work. I need to keep all of our donor databases. I need to do communications on our website. It's fascinating how life throws things at you. This was a difficult situation that presented itself to my family, but we tried to stay positive and to do something productive and to try and make a difference and that my particular skills, the things that I had learned in my working life automatically kind of just slotted into this work that I'm doing for our family foundation. So my typical day is really raising my kids and getting my kids out the door. <laughs> um, I do a lot of fundraising and philanthropic work for a variety of different organizations. I have my kids school and others. I do a lot of writing. I'm in a writer's workshop. I meet with them once a week. You know, I do speaking engagements around both my book and doing good together. So I will go out and speak to Girl Scout troops, for example, who are working on their badge in community service. I worked with schools to help kids figure out where they could do service in the community to get hours. That's really where the book came from. So the last few years have been writing the book and then promoting the book. Tell us a little bit about the book and what it's about. It's called Simple X, The Busy Family's Guide to Giving Back. And again, it kind of just grew out of this conversation that I was having on a regular basis with people in the community who were saying like, wow, I would totally do service with my kids. I would volunteer with my kids if I could find a place that was easy to get to and that would accept us because my kids are ages, you know, seven and nine and it feels I can't find any volunteer opportunities. And I would always say, you know, they are out there. They exist. We live in New York City. This is a city of millions of people, many of whom have challenges, many nonprofit organizations that would welcome your support. And so I was out there speaking to parent and educators and everyone said, gosh, if I had this information at my fingertips, I would totally volunteer with my kids more often. And I said, well, maybe I can create a really practical resource guide that just has simple tips and tricks and ideas and resources and websites to explore. And so it really is a very practical hands-on book. 
It's a prescriptive book and it has a little bit of narrative in terms of I just shared my own stories. So one of the titles I used to joke around is like, you know, tales from the trenches of trying to raise compassionate kids, right? Because we all know this is in theory a great idea and it sounds terrific to go out and work in the soup kitchen or the pantry or to go out and clean in the park. But we all know what happens. You know, you want to do a park cleanup and your kid ends up playing ball or you rake all of the leaves and the kid jumps in the leaves. So I I tried to sprinkle throughout the book some sort of real life stories to inspire people. I mean, my goal here is to just help people see that you don't have to change the world. You know, you don't have to fly around the world. You don't have to build a school in Africa. There is so much that you can do in your own community that you can live your values and role model this behavior for your children. And then it makes a huge difference. In fact, one of the quotes in your book, which I love, was raising kind-hearted kids is a marathon, not a sprint. (laughs) Right, right. And I I love that because, you know, do you think that it's harder, you know, kind of use that word kind-hearted. Do you think it's harder to teach kindness today in the midst of so much strife in our world? I mean, I just feel like at every level from, you know, government to just what's happening, you know, with race relations and everything is just so high stress and and quite frankly, not very kind. Right. Absolutely. I think there's a ton of negativity. The prevalence of social media, the fact that it is so in our face, there's so much kind of negative energy out there. And I do believe that everyone has this responsibility and that starting these habits of kindness when children are very very, very young makes an impact. It's sort of like drops in a bucket, right? That was one of my working titles for the book. And then I found out there was a whole other series of books on like that. But basically every single time your family does something kind for someone else or is considerate of other people's feelings, uh, it mightn't even be an overt action. It's literally just the holding of the door for the person behind you, right? The putting your change into the tip cup in the coffee shop or letting your child do that for you. You know, this wonderful thing that we see sometimes luckily promoted on social media, paying for the person behind you in line, paying it forward. These types of things, they make an impact on kids. And especially if you do them with regularity. And if these things become part of your family traditions, your family habits around the holidays, around birthdays, I think that it has this kind of drops in a bucket thing where it just, these things over time start to really create an empathetic and grateful and gentler kid. I mean, we talk a lot about bullying and we talk a lot about, you know, the social media, online bullying, all this other stuff. Instead of talking about how not to bully, why don't we talk about how to bring kindness curriculum into our schools, right? Instead of anti-bullying curriculum, why isn't it kindness curriculum, empathy curriculum? curriculum? I actually know somebody who is doing that very thing. Yeah. Bringing structured curriculum into schools um, about kindness. Social emotional learning, you know, I think that if we kind of change the narrative around it, it does make a huge, huge difference. We could all use everyone to care a little bit more about their fellow man, to keep their eyes and their hearts open to things. And again, that's just how you live your life. That's how you role model this behavior for your kids. It's using the person's name when you see their name on the name badge, thanking the person who's held the door for you. It's just small, small things, but repetitively, I think it makes a huge impact for kids. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of switch over. What's the best advice that you got that maybe was instrumental in your career trajectory that it maybe allowed you to make the leap, you know, out of healthcare into all these other things you're passionate about? 
Well, I don't know if it was so much of a leap, (laughs) kind of more of a crawl, I'd say. You know, I did hit sort of a wall, you know, maybe 10 years or so ago or a little less where, you know, I'd been home with my kids. I I was doing a lot of volunteer work and I I really was making an impact in a variety of different arenas, none of which I had trained for, none of which were particularly relevant to me personally. They were important to my community, to my kids' school or to whatever. And I I woke up one midday and I remember saying to my husband, like, I just feel like I'm not accomplishing anything. You know, I want to feel like my education, the time that I spent studying, the things that I'm passionate about, that I'm actually putting something out there into the world that's going to stick and that's going to outlast me. And I remember I was in a writing class for a few years and I remember making a weird sort of silent commitment to myself about a year and a half before my 50th birthday, where I said, I just want to publish something, anything before I turn 50. And that seems like sort of ridiculously arbitrary, right? But you know, you come to these milestone birthdays and everybody asks you, how are you feeling? And what does this mean? And midlife and all this stuff. I said to myself, I just want something out there in the universe. I don't care if it's on a website or a blog or this or that, or, you know, it would be wonderful to publish a book. And I said that to myself and it was like, you know, I put that energy out into the universe and the universe sort of hurt me. And the story of how the book got published, I hope, is inspiring to others who have this dream. I had been working on a proposal for this for a couple of years. I'd gotten some feedback from some agents and others, and people were varying degrees, you know, positive about it. Several friends were like, this is important. This is great. I'm a parent. I would love this. I would buy this for my friends. But from the professionals, I was getting, well, you can't really have narrative stories and prescriptive instructions for people and tips. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. I see that in cookbooks all the time, right? So I stuck at it and I stuck at it and someone gave me great advice about how to kind of make my proposal a little sharper. And I stuck it in an envelope before the new year, about, I guess, two years ago now in December. And I literally sent it in a brown paper envelope to a publisher that I knew had published in this space, one publisher, and it was to whom it may concern. And as you and I both know, that goes straight into the garbage, right? I mean, no one opens that envelope and miraculously someone did at Griffin House. And it was a woman who has a child and she tries to do service with her kid. She pulled it out of the envelope and something resonated for her. She read it. She asked me to make some changes. She pitched it to her team and they bought it. And that, I had no agent. I had no experience. I had no platform. I had nothing. And someone took a chance on me. And I think that that's, you know, if you have an idea, just try, just put it out there into the world. Because I promise you, someone else is out there with an idea that's not as good as yours or writing that's not as strong as yours, or a voice that's not as strong as yours, and they're getting their stuff published and put out there and put on blogs, et cetera, et cetera. So I I don't know. I wish I had told my younger self to try to just throw something out into the universe and see what sticks. And when I finally did, and the book came out in April and I turned 50 in July. So this doesn't sound crazy at all because so many of my friends are turning 50 and they're like, oh, I'm going to run a marathon. I'm like, who wants to do that? <laughs> you know, who wants to train for a marathon? No, 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 no. Anyway, but no, I, I think that's awesome. And I love what you're saying too. You know, I think that what resonates with me is, you know, this twofold thing of if you're in a position out there where you can give somebody a shot, especially another woman, just encouraging you to do so, to look for those opportunities to, you know, take a little risk alongside somebody. Right. Um, and I think that also that you don't get what you don't ask for. You know, exactly. You to go for it. And I think, again, especially you know, with women and the confidence gap, sometimes we have to really reiterate that you just have to go for it. I find that women are such perfectionists, right? I mean, there are statistics out there about writers. 
that male writers will just throw their stuff out in any condition and just kind of expect that someone's going to buy it. And women writers obsess and obsess and obsess. And in my writing group, you know, we all sit around and encourage each other. And a woman in the group is a beautiful writer, had written this beautiful piece about her mother and she was hemming and hawing over it. And I finally said to her, you know what? Perfect is the enemy of the good. What yeah. you've written is really beautiful. It's almost Mother's Day. You better get it out there and someone is going to feel it. It's going to resonate with someone. But more importantly, you're going to have the satisfaction of knowing that you had published this thing. And guess what? Someone reading it on the other end doesn't know what you didn't put in it. They only know what they're reading and what they're reading is good. And so absolutely, we rise by lifting others. And I am, you know, a huge proponent of saying, you know, if you have something that you're good at, if something that you love, just try it. We're in this weird place now where anyone can set up a blog post, right? And you can just throw your stuff out into the world and say, what resonates? So, you know, this book was published. Now I have a possibility of potentially writing another one about for teens, you know, Simple Acts is really for young families with children up to age 10. As soon as it came out, everyone said to me, you know, this is great, but really, how about my teenagers? Really want to get my teenagers more involved in service. I'm like, of course. So now I'm working on a proposal for a second book. And these were things that were like, you know, just unbelievable to me, you know, two or three years ago. And so if I can do it, anybody can. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And gosh, as we close up, we'd love to just find out a little bit more about you personally and and our speed round. (laughs) Oh boy. Uh, I don't know about that. What does your morning routine look like? Coffee, a lot of coffee. My husband needs coffee to get going. I need coffee to get going. I drive my children to school here in Manhattan. I know that sounds like folly, but I do uh, because they're scattered around. I usually go running. Speaking of marathons, I am not a marathon runner, but I try and move my body. So I have speaking engagements set up. I go to my writing class. And then, you know, the afternoon is my kids. So what are you currently reading or listening to? You know, I am a huge fan of Elizabeth Gilbert and I just finished City of Girls. I think she's an extraordinary writer. I saw her speak recently and she really inspired me both in terms of her personal story and the way that she you know, suffered a really difficult loss in her life and then was told within weeks that she had to present this book, which ended up being City of Girls that she had researched for many years. But more importantly, that she spends a lot of time and she researches her subjects and she writes everything down on little cards and she keeps them in boxes. That's how she builds her stories. And, you know, when you read something like that, I'm sure you'll agree. It is so beautifully constructed and you can hear the words and you can see it almost like as if it's on a movie screen in your head. When you read something that's really well done, it inspires you to want to be a better writer. And more about her and and Cheryl Strait and and others like that, where you can take things that have happened in your life and you could sit with them and let them eat you up and certainly get help for them and therapy and meditation, all these things. Or you can kind of try and channel them in a creative way and put them back out into the world and maybe they they can help other people. So I'm really inspired by writers like that. All right. Last question. What's one thing you can't live without? My to-do list on my phone. I'm also one of those crazy people who writes things down that I've already done so that I can have the satisfaction of crossing them off. (laughs) I know that there are people out there that can relate to this, but truly, I mean, the littlest thing, I was driving my son to school and I remembered I had to call the orthodontist for my daughter and I can't use the phone while I'm driving. So I said, can you please open the app? You know, the app on the corner. He's like, I know the app. And he had to write orthodontist. I used to write it on paper. I write it in my phone now, unfortunately. So if I lose my phone, that would be bad, but I am a list maker and I can't live without my list. And it gives me joy to cross it off. So that's the best part. (laughs) An endorphin rush. Exactly. And that is, that is some kind of joy. Let me tell you, I'm I'm a list person as well. So I totally, get that. 
Could you let our listeners know where they can find information on your book and what you're doing? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a website, which is just uh, simpleaxeguide.com, simpleaxeguide.com. I had to use add the guide because Simple Axe is so kind of prolific out there. But simpleaxeguide.com has my personal writing. I do a lot of parenting essays and things like that that have been published widely. And it has information about the book, which is, of course, available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all of that. And it has tapes of podcasts like this one and a webinar that I conducted, which has, you know, really good kind of concrete tips for people. You know, again, the book is just an easy guide. People like to let their kids flip through it and get ideas. And and it's just things you can do in your everyday life to insert some kindness and service, which I think we could all use. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for all that you're doing and all the goodness that you're putting out there in the world. And we'll look forward to hearing about your next book for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. Really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for having me, Melinda. Take care. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free daily newsletter and audio brief, Four Minutes with On The Dot. Let us know your thoughts or what you want to hear next from at On The Dot Woman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're here to help you become the best boss babe you are meant to be.